0: If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to John chapter 4. And as you're doing that, also have the Trinity Hymnal handy, uh, page 845, as we continue our way through the Apostles' uh, Creed. We are here at uh, the fifth message in our series, a uh, Christian, What Do You Believe?, an exposition of the Apostles' Creed. And again, why now? Uh, been saying uh, the reason we did Mark, the reason we did Galatians, the reason we 're doing the Apostles Creed now is to counter widespread ignorance and confusion as to who Jesus is, uh, what the gospel is, uh, what the Christian faith is. Here we are looking at the La- uh, at the apostles Creed now creed comes from Latin credo I believe, and while the apostles Creed is Um, subordinate to and under the authority of the Bible, uh, creeds are vitally important. As I hope we're seeing, the Apostles' Creed is vitally important as it helps us to organize and summarize the teachings of Scripture. And as we've been saying, I believe doesn't mean faith in faith, but rather faith in the faith, the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. I believe. Two simple words, but life changing and life shaping. Indeed, they can and often do make the difference between life and death. As we've been saying, the Apostles' Creed serves to keep the church faithful to the faith uh, by keeping the church anchored in the harbor of God's Word. And to the degree that they accurately and faithfully organize and summarize the teachings of Scripture, they serve as an anchor which can on the one hand prevent us from drifting out to sea where we're tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Or they can also prevent us from uh, uh, running ashore, running aground, hitting the rocks and making shipwreck, as it were, of our faith. You know, there are many benefits to the continuing use of an ancient creed, such as we're looking at with the Apostles' Creed. It promotes personal humility because we're confessing what others before us have confessed. We're confessing what others after us will confess. It relativizes us. It makes us realize who we are, small in the big scheme of things. So it serves to promote personal humility. It serves to both commend the faith as well as to defend the faith, to commend the faith to others on the outside and to one another on the inside, to defend the faith from assaults, foreign, as it were, coming in from the outside or even domestic from the inside. And finally, a benefit is it serves to promote church unity because even though the Apostles' Creed is I believe and the Nicene Creed, for instance, is we believe, when you say I believe together with one another, It serves to promote church unity. Now, here we're going to start today, the second part. We're going to be looking at the second person of the Trinity, I believe in Jesus Christ. You'll note that the Apostles' Creed is a three-part creed. There's a Trinitarian structure, and this long section of the Son stands between the shorter sections of the Father and the Holy Spirit, Next week, as I mentioned, we will look at His Son, our Lord. But today, for purposes I hope that we will recognize and be thankful for, we will focus in on Jesus Christ. It would be easy in many ways to just go right through it. Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord. But I want us to stop and think for a few minutes about Jesus Christ. I believe. I believe, I believe. Um, I heard a story this past week of a chaplain at a university who uh, was interviewing incoming students, and they, they um, made the comment, well, chaplain, you're not going to be uh, seeing much of me uh, on campus because I just don't believe in God. And this chaplain responded with words like this, well, which God is it you don't believe in? And that kind of stopped the, uh, the student and They had to think about it. And then they described um, this God. And, and, And the chaplain went back and said, well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. But as we will see in the Apostles' Creed, as it faithfully points us to God's word, it will give us confidence that the God we believe in is the God who is the real, one, true and living God and the God who has made himself known in the person and work of Jesus of Nazareth. Some of you may have heard that this past, or this month of October, uh, Ligonier Ministries in combination with Lifeway Research uh, released the findings of their third uh, State of American Theological Study. Uh, it was an attempt to, uh, to check the theological temperature of the American population, and they surveyed uh, 3,002 Americans. Of those 3,002, uh, 500 or so identified themselves as evangelicals based on a four-part definition and these these questions focused on six key doctrinal areas and there were 34 questions excuse me 34 statements and what they asked was do you strongly agree do you somewhat agree do you somewhat disagree do you strongly disagree or are you not sure now, there's some good resources, and I encourage all of us in a bit to, to take a look at that. I think it'll be helpful for understanding how best to reach out to the world around us. Um, and in fact, uh, next month's Table Talk magazine has an article about it. But this past couple days ago, actually it came out on the 25th, is a great article entitled Christian, What Do You Believe? Probably a heresy about Jesus, says this survey because I'm gonna just highlight a few things in this article that Ligonier Ministries wanted to know what Americans believe about God, salvation, ethics, and the Bible. And here is something rather, uh, rather interesting. When it comes to Americans with evangelical beliefs, the survey found that a majority say that most people are basically good. And, and a majority More than 50% says God accepts the worship of all religions. And then interestingly, almost three quarters, over 75% say that Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God the Father. Well, Ligonier says this, however, all these beliefs are contrary to the historic Christian faith when it comes to Sin when it comes to Jesus being the exclusive and only way to God, and when it it comes to who Jesus is. They go on to say this, Strangely, while most evangelicals strongly believe in justification by faith alone, they are confused about the person of Jesus Christ. On the one hand, virtually all evangelicals express support for Trinitarian doctrine. Yet at the same time, most agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God, which was a view espoused by the ancient heretic Arius. So interestingly... This survey helps confirm that there is ignorance, there is confusion out there about who Jesus is and what is at the heart of the Christian faith. Indeed, the president of Ligonier said this, It's never been popular to talk about mankind's sinfulness or the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, but at a time when a darkened world needs the light of the gospel, it's disheartening to see many within the evangelical church confused about what the Bible teaches. And so that's one of our main purposes, is to clear up the confusion. Because once we see Jesus for who he is as made known in the Scriptures, our love for Him will grow. Our thankfulness for what He has done in our place and on our behalf will grow. I want us to think as we get going here about two declarations. Two declarations from Scripture. First, from God. In Matthew 1, we hear this. The angel telling Mary or Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then here's a declaration from man. We heard it in Mark, Mark chapter eight. Let's hear it from Matthew chapter 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. So here are two declarations. You shall call his name Jesus and you are the Christ You see, the one who is at the center of Christianity, the identity of who Christianity revolves around is a big deal, according to the Scriptures. For those of you who got the preparing for worship email, you you might have seen these referenced. In 1 John 2.22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And later in chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So we're setting up to see the importance of understanding that Jesus is the Christ. Now the identity of the one who is at the center of Christianity and the Christian faith is a big deal, not only according to the apostles, but according to Jesus himself. Remember, after the resurrection, he was on the road with two Men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verse 26, and he, he speaks of was it not necessary that the cross the Christ must suffer? Here he is, Jesus of Nazareth talking about the Christ suffering. And later in that chapter, as he's with his disciples, he says this, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. So here in post-resurrection, Jesus' encounters with people. He, Jesus of Nazareth, is speaking of the Christ. Now, one of my seminary professors said this, since you can't say everything, you need to say something. And so this morning, something is going to be said about this statement, I believe in Jesus Christ. And my friends, given the fact that this entire book from beginning to end speaks of Jesus Christ, this was not the easiest thing. We're not going to be able to say everything, but we are going to be able to say something. Let's ask God's blessing on this something. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we turn now to your word, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts, that we would be able to to know what we are to believe about you and what you ask your people to do. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. May your word and spirit now change us, transform us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to spend just the next few minutes thinking about the name Jesus as well as the title Christ. And we're going to do that by primarily focusing on an incident in the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, where he makes himself known through a declaration that he is the Christ. And as I read this passage, we'll stop and make comments along the way about the name of the Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, and the title of the Savior, Redeemer, the Christ. And so those of you that like to take notes, they're really just two sections, name and title, name and title. The name of the Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, his earthly identity, and then the title or office of the Savior, Redeemer, the Christ, his divine anointing. So if you haven't done this already, please turn with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, rather quickly, uh, more quickly than normal in view of the time, but then also slow down at a few points. I'm going to actually begin at verse 7. Actually, let me just start with 1. Verse one. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Notice in those first couple of verses, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We pick back up at verse 7. He's up to Jacob's well. As he travels and we read in verse seven, uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now let's stop for a moment. Jesus, it's his name. The name Jesus, it's his given name, it's his proper name. Interestingly, in my study, I learned that Jesus was the fourth most popular name of Jewish boys at that time. Simeon, or Simon, was in first place, then Joseph, then Judah, and then Jesus. Because Jesus is really just the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua. The Hebrew Joshua, which means God is Savior or the Lord saves. So Jesus, his very name has a meaning and you heard that announcement. He will save his people from their sins. So when you hear the name Jesus, it's the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth. And his name identifies him as a historical person. He's Mary's son from Nazareth in Galilee. And at times you'll see, and and also it was thought the son of Joseph. His name, Jesus, reflects his mission. And it's connected with his coming as foreseen by the Old Testament. So let's continue reading as Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. Again, verse 7, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst, will, will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir... Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has been with this woman and she knows that Messiah is coming. Messiah who is called Christ. Well, Christ, children, is not his last name. Jesus of Nazareth is his name. Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek word that translates the Hebrew word Messiah. And literally both in the Hebrew Messiah and in the Greek Christ mean the anointed one. The anointed one uh, appointed to fulfill his calling, his trade, or his profession. So this title, Christ, identifies Jesus as God's appointed and anointed Savior King. Both Christ and Messiah mean anointed one, the one set apart and endued with the Spirit of God as God's promised prophet, priest, and king. Now to say that Jesus is the Christ, and who is saying it? Jesus himself here, in a very unusual place, is saying, I am the Christ Christ. To say that is to ascribe to him all that the Old Testament heralded and looked forward to when it comes to God's Messiah. In the next chapter in John 5, in verses 39 through 40, we read this. Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. For Peter to confess Jesus as the Christ, for Jesus himself to say that he is the Christ is to make a statement of historic proportion. Now, not only is this word Christ like the title that Jesus has, it it really refers to, in many ways, the office that he holds, kind of like The president holds the office of president. Well, here Jesus, the Christ, occupies the the office of Christ. And in doing so, Jesus perfectly fulfills all three ministries which men were anointed in Old Testament times: that of prophet, priest, and king. And why is that the case? Because man has needs, man is ignorant. Man is guilty, and man is weak. And so understanding Jesus as prophet, priest, and king is very helpful. Now, it's not here, although there's the prophet aspect, but it's everywhere in Scripture, and we just don't have time today to look at it. But Jesus as prophet is the messenger from God because people are ignorant of God's will and need instruction. And as Deuteronomy 18 says, Points out there they were looking for the prophet greater than Moses to come, and Jesus is that prophet. But he's also priest. He's the mediator between God and man because man is guilty and estranged from God and needs reconciliation. And Jesus is that that mediator, that stand in between, the one who is both priest and sacrifice. And then Jesus is king, and we, we, we saw that often in Mark. The kingdom of God was at hand because Jesus, the king, was at hand. Because we are weak and helpless, and we need someone to rule and defend us. And Jesus governs us by his word and by his spirit. Now earlier, we read a good portion from Exodus 34, where the metaphor or the picture of the shepherd was, was, uh, was proclaimed. And I think it's interesting that in the shepherd, you really do see all three. Did you hear that as it was read? I myself will search for, seek out, rescue, bring them out, bring them into, feed them, be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make with them a covenant of peace. Well, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd feeds the sheep the word. The shepherd is the prophet. And what does the shepherd do? He lays his life down for the sheep. He is the priest who is the sacrifice himself as John chapter 10 and elsewhere. As Jesus speaks of himself being the shepherd. And finally the shepherd leads and protects and defends the sheep. The shepherd is the king of the sheep. And so in that one picture of shepherd you see Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Now we've seen that these two words, Jesus Christ, express both a given name and a given title. I want you to continue with me in John 4. Verses 37, Jesus has just said to her, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I am the Christ. And then we read, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Notice the woman starts off, I perceive. And then she, knows, she says, I, I know that, that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And now she says, can this be the Christ Christ? And then look down with me at verse 34. The next few verses are astonishing. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a confession. This Jesus, whose very name means God saves. He is this anointed one, this Christ promised, and he is here. Many believed, why? Because of her testimony, many more believed. Why? Because of his word. We have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. What an amazing encounter at the well. Where this woman, this unnamed Samaritan woman met Jesus Christ. Many believed because of her testimony. Many more believed because of his word. They heard it for themselves and they knew. At the end of John, the second to last chapter, we read these words. Now Jesus did many other signs. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. My friends, think with me about the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Is the Apostles' Creed just a throwaway line? I believe in Jesus Christ. And then finally, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, again, brings together Jesus and Christ. The name and the title. Something that would be real easy to skip over and go right to His Son, our Lord. And my friends, that is going to be hugely important. And we're going to look at it next week. But let's don't fly through Jesus Christ. I mean a lot of our friends probably use those two words in a very arrogant, a very flippant, a very sacrilegious, a very unthinking, a very sad way, don't they? Do we say it reverently, with joy, with thanksgiving that we believe? Acts chapter 4 Verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. In other words, this man had been healed by Peter and John and people couldn't understand why and, and, and Peter proclaims, preaches a sermon. This Jesus... That is Jesus of Nazareth, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. My friends, when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, You are saying, I believe in the one way, the one highway, the one avenue, the one door, the one gate, the one expressway, the one parkway, the only way to God. It is exclusive. But oh, is it an inclusive exclusivity. Come to me, Jesus says, all. Who are burdened, who are laboring, weighed down by guilt and shame. Come, come to me and find rest. My friends, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Obviously, we're going to continue to use this as a confession of faith in the coming weeks. And I pray that as we do that, as the words come off of our lips, our hearts would be arrested by the God-man, Jesus. Jesus, who was named Jesus because he and he alone would save his people from their sins and who was given the title Christ because he was that long-expected one who would make all things new and all things right as he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. My friends, may your next confession of I believe in Jesus Christ fill you with gratitude and joy and confidence. May it strip away pride and may it replace it with a humble realization of all that Jesus has done for you in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, the only way we can, with integrity of heart, say, I believe in Jesus Christ and know all that entails is because, Father, you have opened our eyes to see him. You have opened our ears to hear him. You have given us a new heart to receive him. You've given us a renewed mind to understand, oh, Father, help us to be so grateful that we can say, I believe in Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name, amen. i